Guys, if you thought announcements were over, you're wrong. Uh, I, I chose to take this one myself. Um, Kathy and I have led, uh, SIMBUS is an acronym for Saving Your Marriage Before It Begins. And this is a, a it's, it's designed as a premarital uh, class, seven weeks long. Uh, I don't know how many times we've led it, but Kathy and I have been married almost 40 years. And uh, we've learned something every time we've gone through it. We're not doing this as a premarital. We're doing it as a marriage class. So Chris and Carrie are the latest that have come through this. And if you want opinions on that, you can talk to them. Um, It's seven weeks long. It's going to be Monday nights here, 7 to 9 p.m., October 2nd through November 13th. Um, We're figuring out if we need child care. So there's there's a form you've got with your bulletin and handouts this morning. Uh, keep calm and marry on. It's the pink one. Looks like this. If you're interested, uh, fill one of these out and get it in. You can put it in a giving box. You can give it to me, any of the other elders as well. Um, if you're interested at all, there's a cost to this. Uh, it's 70 bucks a couple, which sounds steep. I'll just tell you what you're getting. <clears throat> that just covers our costs. There's a hardback book you read as a couple each week, one lesson per week. Each, the him and the her, uh, husband and wife each fill out a chapter of their own in a consumable workbook each week. You come to the class, you watch the same message on a video, and what they were highlighting in that little clip with the cute young couple what's, is something they've just added to this. It's an online assessment. There's a ton of questions, and so you bring that personalized assessment. It prints out one for spouse, one for spouse. You bring that in, and as you're going through the same information in four different venues, the personalized nature of that comes up in the assessments you do online. The assessment itself is $35 to the church. It's really encouraging. It's very helpful. We come away with something new every time. It's hard to emphasize how practical and helpful this would be. So if you have any interest in ability, starting October 2nd, seven weeks, why think about that prayerfully, fill one of these out. If you need child care, make sure you let us know on there as well. Oh, by the way, and the form says, if you need help on the cost, we'll help you. There's no problem there. We want you here if that's an option for you at all. And last on the announcements for me, starting on the 10th, when we regroup and Sunday school restarts, the Sunday school venue as well as the teaching venue in here during worship meetings is going to be looking at themes tied to the Reformation. You guys know, I hope, October 31st is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's nailing that thesis to the church in Wittenberg. So if you're, if you're here this morning, you stand in that line. If you're an evangelical, if you're broadly a Protestant, your lineage goes back to that day. That's, that's the rock that started rolling downhill that got all of this going. It's, it was a signal point in the history of the church. It's important. Most of us are pretty ignorant about church history. We don't know where we've come. We don't know, frankly, the kind of blessing that we enjoy that others in former generations didn't have, didn't know. So we're going to be talking about this in Sunday school class. It's going to be great. I think Steve Iliff is kicking us off with some uh, history lessons in that. There's going to be other guys that will be taking turns on a team that are presenting that in the Sunday school. The elders in this service will be teaching on Reformation theology themes, the solas, the five solas, if you're aware. So we'll be talking about faith and grace and salvation and Christ and Scripture so I'm, I am highly enthusiastic about it. I'm excited about it. If you haven't come to Sunday school normally, I, I hope you will start on the 10th. It'll be well worth your time. 
Okay, we're going to see if this will work this week. If I hold my tongue just right. So it's not going to. So whenever we get interference during the service, something doesn't work. So we're working on that. We're getting some new hardware. So you guys will just advance. We're good. Yeah, thanks. Right there. So guys, you know, uh, presidents once a year, they give a State of the Union address. And, and basically they review and they tell you where they think the nation's at, positively, negatively, what we've done well, what we need to work on, etc. Governors do the same thing with State of the State. Our theme this morning, this is a one-week message, no series starting yet, is the state of the church. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, the state of the church. And we're going to do this a few different ways. I'm not going to tell you what the state of the church is, at least for the most part. I'll tell you the state of the church in some ways that we can measure. But really what I hope to accomplish this morning is that we think through some scripture, some, through some measurable quantifiable aspects of the life of Lion Lamb Church, and then through our mission statement, just to be asking ourselves the question as individuals and as a church, uh, what is Jesus' view of the state of things in Lion and Lamb Church? If Jesus wrote to us today, if he stood here and spoke to us today, what might he say? And also, if he spoke to us directly today, and I'm not minimizing his word, but just direct, you know, it's Jesus to you, it's Jesus to me, what would he say? As he reviews our lives, as he looks at our church, what kinds of things would he point out? What would he point out positively? What would he say negatively? So that's where we're going. As we do, would you advance, Andrew? Thanks. Uh, For us, for the leaders, please do us a favor. This is for us. This part isn't for you. This assessment response form you have with your bulletin is something I'm asking you to fill out during this teaching time do it all at once. Mostly it's one to ten. There's a few lines you can put out something specific. But we're asking you to do this, and then when you're done with the teaching time, you're going to fold those in half, you're going to pass them to the aisle, and we'll pick those up. Don't put your name. This is anonymous. We're just getting your feedback to what is your assessment of the state of the church. What's your assessment on your own personal state? How do those compare? So fill that out if you would. Fold it in half before we're done with this time, start passing the aisles, and upstairs and downstairs, someone will come by and pick those up. So that's for us. You also have the normal study sheet, and that's for you. And so you can fill that out as we go along. So the, we're assessing, we're sort of self-assessing this morning, and we're going to use uh, some things Jesus said first, then we'll use some quantifiables, and then we'll use the mission statement to look through that and, and, may, and ask the question, maybe answer some of the questions. What would Jesus say is the state of Lion and Lamb Church? What would Jesus say is the state of your life and mine? Andrew? So this is where we're starting. In Matthew 16, Jesus had a conversation with his disciples, and he asked them the question, who do men say that I am? So as you're listening to the buzz around town, who do people say I am? And so they say, well, some think that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some think you're Elijah or a prophet not sure. And so Jesus corners them and he says, and and who do you say that I am? And so Peter answers and Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah promised throughout the whole Old Testament. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And it was to that confession on who Jesus was and what his work on this earth was that Jesus says on this rock, on the person work of Christ, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So friends, since the death and resurrection of Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, 
God's work in the world, if somebody said to you, what's God doing in the world today? You might say a number of things, but what God says He's been doing in the world for the last 2,000 years is building His church. Everything else is subsidiary to that. Anything you can imagine is subsidiary that Jesus is building His church. That's God's work on the earth today. And before we get into this, just think about this for just a second. If you're a Christian, if Christ is your Savior and your hope, if you're part of a local church, you're part of a heritage that doesn't just go back to the Reformation 500 years ago, but your heritage goes back to the church fathers, it goes back to Jesus and the apostles. In fact, it goes all the way back to the eternal counsels of the triune God. You're not just a Christian, and a local church is not just a church. You're part of what God has, in His counsels and in His wisdom for His glory, has been planning from before this cosmos, this world was created. You and I stand in that eternal stream of God's glory and His plans. And so it's no small thing to say, and I don't mean with any personal boast, I'm a Christian, I'm Christ, I'm in Christ's church. We are part of the eternal plans of God Himself. So that's what God's up to today. Andrew? So when we come to this theme about how do you assess a church? How do you assess, how do you or I assess this church or any local church? Or the church more broadly, the church universal or the church present in the world today? How do you assess what Jesus would say to the church today, good, bad, or ugly? Or what are some of the mechanisms by which you and I can assess our own lives? Now, one of the ways we can is, of course, the Scriptures. And there's a great passage in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 in which Jesus wrote to seven specific churches in each of their locations. And to each of those churches, he presented himself in a certain way that made sense to that group. And then he told them, generally, the model is this. Generally, these are the things you do well. These are the things you're not doing well. This is my warning to you. If you don't change, this is what's going to happen. This is my promise to you for faithfulness. And so though each of the church was under the same mandate, right, to make disciples, to share the gospel, to baptize, what that looked like for any given church, all in the same general geographic area and at the same time, it looked a little different for each one of them. And so he spoke to those seven churches and he told them, this is who I am, this is what I can commend, and this is where you need to bring about change. And so I just want to use the letter to the church at Ephesus, the first one, to talk about, if you have your Bible, because I didn't include this in the overhead, you might turn to there, Revelation chapter 2, the letter to Ephesus, and we'll just use this as a model to the way Jesus gave an assessment, his state of the church addressed to these churches. So Ephesus is the first one mentioned, and he said this, to the angel or the messenger of the church in Ephesus write this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And both the lampstands and the stars represent the churches. Jesus holds them. They're his. He controls them. He's in the midst of them. He sees all. He says, I know your works. And this is the commendation. So presents himself. Now he commends. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. You can't bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. And guys, the early century was filled with false prophets, false teachers, you name it. And so Jesus says, you guys have winnowed them out. You've tested them, you've checked them, 
and you've revealed them for what they are, pseudo-apostles or teachers. He says, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. You are doing the work. You're faithfully in the trenches. You're doing the work. So that's commendation. And now here's the critique. He says, verse 4, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. This is ESV. And ASB would say you've abandoned your first love. That's Christ himself. So you can imagine it's easy to be in a church, is it not? Be faithful, diligent, you work hard, but you, get, you forget who you're working for and you get, forget why you're doing it. We just sort of turn religious. And Jesus says, you've sort of left me on the side. You're speaking in my name. You're teaching the right things, but you've left me as your first love and goal. This is the warning. He says, uh, therefore, f- repent from where you have fallen. Do the works you did at first. If you don't, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's significant. Ephesus was a state-of-the-art church. They're written to or about more than any other church in the New Testament. And Jesus says, if you guys don't turn around and repent, if you don't make me first again, you won't exist as a church. Your witness will be gone. He says, yet you have this, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And Nicolaitanism, we won't get into this, but it's probably sexual immorality and or the beginning of the church being turned into a two-tier system of the clergy and the laity. Uh, Nicholas's name is attached to both, though our Nicholas here, wherever he is, has no such sorry problem. And last, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Andrew, will you go to that next one? Thanks. So what you see, so Jesus is addressing the church. And he says, this is who I am, and this is praiseworthy, and this isn't, and this is my warning, and this is my promise. And so on these other churches, Sardis, and I'm just giving you a few, and as we, as we do these, you think about lion and lamb, okay, because that's the exercise this morning. How does this apply? What would this look like for Jesus writing to us this morning, corporately and writing to us as individuals? So he says, I know your works. There's no hiding anything from the Lord, right? So whatever we're doing, for whatever motive, whatever purpose, the Lord knows all of that. So he addresses things as they really are. He praises what's praiseworthy. He reproves what's not. He warns and he promises. When you get to the church at Sardis, and I'll just give you one-liners on this, he says to Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive. You have a reputation at the church that you're the place to go and the place to be. And he says, but you're not. You're asleep at the wheel. He tells them, you wake up and strengthen the things that remain. You finish the works God gave you to do. Different issue than Ephesus had. Ephesus working hard right on through without Christ. Sardis, they've got this... This name, that we're it, we're the biggest church, we're the most popular church. And he says, but you're not, you're asleep and you need to wake up. If you get to Philadelphia, Philadelphia is not um, critiqued for anything. But they're not a big, rich, powerful church either. Jesus says to them, you've got a little power. You don't have much power, but you have a little power. And I've opened this door for access and service in my name that no one can shut. So you keep going about those labors. And the last one, Laodicea, and I think, I think there's a good argument to be made that Jesus meant us to see the, the life of the church writ large in the progression of these seven churches, and that therefore Laodicea would represent the church that you and I probably are part of today. 
And Jesus says to them, if you were a cup of water, you're not hot like coffee or tea, you're not cold like refreshing water, you're lukewarm, and I would just spit you out of my mouth. And he tells them, you've made all the things that I count as trinkets, you think those are your great treasures, and they're not. And he tells them, repent, I'm at the door, open the door, I'll come in, we'll have fellowship. But you get the picture. This was Jesus giving state-of-the-church addresses to each one of these seven churches. And so there's some pretty good paradigms in there for you and I to say, what would Jesus say to me? What would Jesus say to us? What elements from these letters might he apply to us today? In the eyes of heaven before Jesus, what's the status of Lion and Lamb Church and what's your status in mind? That's the biggest thing I hope we take away, just each one of us as individuals. What's our status corporately? What's my status personally? Now, let me give you some metrics, Andrew. These are not the most important elements by which you would assess the spiritual vitality of a church. I'm sorry, that's just a graphic. It has nothing to do with anything else. Yeah, they're looking at, where are the numbers? What, what is that? It's a picture, yeah. But your study sheet has these listed out, and I'll give you some things to fill in there as helpful. Not the most important, but these affect who we are, how we operate, the way life looks in our local expression of the church. So attendance, Lion and Lamb is averaging just under 200 people here a Sunday. That's down a bit from past years. So Mark mentioned 20-year uh, history. As a, as a church in the long haul, Lion and Lamb tends to gain people slowly over time and grow slowly. We've had some spurts in there, but generally that's the thing. And we've tended to lose very few people over time. Now, this last year was the exception to the rule, which is why the numbers are down slightly. We had a uh, few families at least leave because they were ticked off at me or you or somebody else, yeah, or somebody or, or more than one of us. And they just said, simply said, uh, we're not sticking around, we're not reconciling, we're not going to work with you on this, we're cutting our losses and running. We had some others that said their theology no longer was reflected by Lion Lamb Church. Their theology changed, not ours. We had others leave who said, uh, for, my, for the way that God uses me to serve, I'm moving to another church because it gives me better opportunities for that. We had other folks leave who said, we're going to a church that we think is a better fit for our children. So the numbers of people we had leave last year was unusual for us. So our numbers, attendance weekly, are down just a little bit. Uh, we have lots of small groups. Uh, we have home groups that meet once a week or once every two weeks. We have... Tuesday morning men's prayer, we have first Saturday men's, we've got other men's groups, we've got women's prayer group, we've got young ladies and younger ladies Bible studies, we've got lots of places for people to plug in relationally in Lion Lamb Church. Now about half of those who call Lion Lamb home who are here regularly, about half are in one of these venues, one of these small group venues. Uh, half is a pretty normal statistic if you're uh, what's called a program-driven church. We're really not, so we would like to see those numbers actually quite a bit higher. We would like to see 100% of people who call Lion Lamb Church their home to be plugged into one of these small group venues, and I'll mention that again when we look at the mission statement. But uh, half is fine as far as it goes, and if you're in a home group or a small group or a men's group, you know the value of simply rubbing shoulders regularly with others. Uh, on baptisms, the last scheduled baptism we had, we had no one to baptize. I think that was a first. 
But we take evangelism seriously, and calling people who profess faith in Christ to obey Christ in baptism is a big deal for us. It's that first significant step of obedience Jesus commands. We don't believe baptism does anything about our salvation. We're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But baptism is that first thing Jesus says for us to do to identify with him. So we take that seriously. We want to make sure if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus is your Savior and you haven't been baptized, you should be. You need to be. And if that's you, let us know and we'll be glad to help you with that. Uh, One of the things Lion and Lamb has done best historically, this is again on your study sheet, groups Lion and Lammers are serving in. Uh, One of the ways God tends to use us as a church is to, to give people a healthy, biblical, steady foundation for their faith from which they can grow and thrive. And so what has happened a lot, because we're still a a small church numerically, uh, people tend to thrive and grow here and then plug in, just as Tim and Andrea are, plug in 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 other venues where God can use their gifts, their talents, their times and energies. And we're all for this. We think this is one of the things we do best. So we have folks from Lion and Lamb serving in uh, Topeka Rescue Mission, Safe Families, Doxodzo, in Highland Crest, that's tied a little bit at least, informally if not formally, with the church plant that will be in there soon. Topeka Friendship Network, several families here with international students. Haiti Lifeline, Christian Challenge, I know I'm missing some others. But this is one of the things we do best and we're glad for. And we don't, we don't have a, a view of the church that says it's our holy huddle and everything happens here. It doesn't, and we're good with that. So we're thrilled that we've got people who are convicted and gifted and they're taking their time, their talents, their energy seriously and they're investing in what God's doing around Topeka. That's good. We're for that. Uh, We switched gears significantly last year. We instituted formal membership. This was a big deal for us. For some of you, it remains a big deal. It's kind of an emotionally compelling element for some. Um, If you look in Ezra 10, Israel just come back from Babylonian captivity and they started sinning again right away. And and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, God kicked us out of the land. He judged us for disobedience. We're coming back. We're doing some of the same things. And so the leaders at that time, they said this, even though we live under the covenant that, that Yahweh has established with Israel, what we want to do is formalize our inclusion in that covenant by renewing the covenant and signing our signatures on a document that says, we're all in. And so that's what they did. And so all the leaders signed a document where they said, we are renewing the covenant. We are telling God and each other that we are all in. We are going to be faithful to follow Yahweh. And that was one of the texts, if you will. We're living in a time in which people change churches like they change clothing you know, that shirt's a little faded. That person's a little faded. I'm, I'm leaving them behind. Uh, that church, it used to be good, but there are holes in the knees now. I'm going to update. I'm going to change my dress. I'm going to leave that church, change out for another one. That's the culture and the time we live in. And so we, one of the huge benefits about the formal, and it's still pretty informal, form of fem- membership that we instituted is it's simply a way for us to say we're in. If Lion and Lamb is my church home, I'm simply saying I'm in. And the church is saying to me, and we're in for you. So that was a huge thing about, well, actually more than half of those who attend Lion and Lamb regularly, more than attend home groups, express that inclusion in the church through membership. 
Uh, if you want to be a member, and all those in the serving roles that represent the church are members at this point, uh, we wanted those who said we're in and can commit to that to be the face of Lion and Lamb Church. If you'd like to get any more information on membership, why let me or one of the elders know. What am I doing on time? Uh, leadership, this is on your study sheet as a heading too. Uh, we're really blessed. I, I, we're, we're blessed for the leadership group that we've got at Lion and Lamb Church. We've got four elders. We've got four deacons. Um, we've been very stable, and I will be the first to admit uh, there, are, there are times when we have to apologize to each other, ask forgiveness. Larry's laughing, because in the last meeting I had to say, guys, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. I lost my cool. Uh, this happens, so I don't mean we're not perfect by, by any stretch, not saying that. But what we have are leaders who are consistent and committed and really, you guys know that we operate on the principle, as far as decision-making goes, of consensus. We don't raise hands and vote. We're all in or we're not. We're together in that decision-making process. And I think God's really honored that. And we have good cohesion. Larry Stewart coming on staff in June is just a, literally a godsend. The Stewart family in Lionel Church. I still remember the first Sunday they walked in. The red hair and the bald head I saw walk in together. And I thought, they're new. And how that was in the summer, maybe, was it five years ago? Five years ago. Uh, Larry's feet on the ground, head in the clouds in the best sense, committed, faithful, diligent. He's taken over a lot of the administrative responsibilities, which is great. He's discipling, he's mentoring, he's heading up college and Mosaic, and, and we're just super blessed that he and his family are here doing that. And I want to mention some of you normally don't see here, uh, Penny Ann Weinkoff is our administrative assistant. Doubt if she's here today either, but she has health issues that restrict her ability to get out a lot. Uh, but you would be hard to find somebody that works more diligently than Patty Ann does to get stuff together and get out. So we, we are really blessed. This is my assessment of the state of leadership. We're really blessed just with the group that we've got providing servant leadership here. And the last guys on your sheet is finances. I've got gross numbers from 2016 there for you. Uh, we spent uh, $56,000 and changed less than we took in last year. Uh, year to date, what would that be, through July, uh, we've taken in $56,000 more than we've spent. Depending on when you look at a budget, too, you're probably aware of this. If you've got an $8,000 insurance payment coming out next month, one month to another looks crazy. You say, we're losing money one month, we're spending more than we take in, or we're, we're on the gravy train another month because everything's coming up roses. That number probably won't stay like that. We've got about a quarter million dollars in checking and savings in the bank. That's divided up between just general church uh, costs and the building fund. And I want to say this here, too. We rarely talk about money. If you've been here long, you're aware of that. We don't take a collection during the service because when folks come in, we want them to know it's not all about money, as it is in many, many ministries. However, having said that, churches run on money, too, just like every other family does. Um, I hope and I pray you're giving prayerfully, regularly, and generously to Lion Lamb Church. The church financially depends on that. Also, um, we're going to, and I'm going to leave you hanging here because I have to, but we're going to be presenting a, a project that we want to take on as a church that we think is going to be helpful for the church, uh, and it's costly, and we'll need a whole lot more money in the bank 
because we operate on a cash basis than we have now. So if you're thinking of year-end giving or Lionel M doesn't need the funds and I'm just going to give a chunk someplace, would you hold on that? We'll make a presentation. It'll be for sure before the end of the year and, and maybe within the next month or two. So hold that thought and uh, put your pennies in, in the bank. So guys, in anything that you can measure, I feel in the church we're very, very blessed. We're stable. God has blessed long over time. We have lots of people who have a vision for serving and growth and evangelism and outreach. I, I think there's a lot indeed to be thankful for. The, the last way that I want to help us, Andrew, work through an assessment is by looking at the Lionel Lamb mission statement. And we do this once a year. We try and go through the mission statement because it's important. And guys, the mission statement uh, continues to be really helpful, and it's very clear as far as our church goes what we consider the big rocks and what success or lack of success uh, would look like or what it could be measured against. And the mission statement is very helpful for that. And this is the mission statement. It has served us well and I think still does. Lion and Lamb Church is a fellowship of worshiping believers committed to authentically pursuing a vital relationship with Jesus Christ and obeying all his commands. Let me say that again. Each phrase is important, and that's how we'll, we'll wind down. Lion and Lamb Church is a fellowship of worshiping believers committed to authentically pursuing a vital relationship with Jesus Christ and obeying all his commands. That, that synthesizes what we think are the big rocks in the New Testament for the life of any church. This represents it. So on your study sheet, and again, if you would, as we're going along, if you'll fill out that response sheet as well, that would be helpful. So first, when we say Lion and Lamb Church, we're a church. We're not a club. We're not a civic organization. When we append that term church, or in the Greek, ecclesia, this called out group, we're saying it's Jesus's church. Whatever our name, whatever stripe we otherwise think of, evangelical or otherwise, we are Christ's church. We're not Mike's church. We're not your church. We're not Mark's church in an ownership way. We're Christ's church. And so it's to him that we owe allegiance, and it's to him that we'll all answer one day, right? Members of his body, members of his church, did we represent his will because he's the one calling the shots? We're not. We want to be obedient to what Jesus calls us to because the church at the end of the day, line and lamb, or otherwise, is Christ's church. So on your study sheet or your assessment sheet, how, how do you think we're doing at putting Christ's priorities first? Do we think Jesus' priorities for his church are our corporate priorities? So at the corporate level, are Jesus' priorities for my life or your life, are those my priorities and your priorities personally? And guys, how would we figure that out? We would, sorry, we would read our Bible, right? That's the criteria, right? We have God's Word. He's given us instruction. It's profitable for everything. It's God-breathed. And that's the way we know. Am I doing? Are Christ's priorities mine? He's laid those out in His Word. That's how we know. But is that what we're doing corporately and personally or privately? Uh, advance one, would you? Advance two, actually, I think. Yeah, two. Thank you. So Lion Limb Church is a fellowship. <clears throat> do you guys ever ask someone, do you attend church? Or does someone ever tell you, I attend church? And, and I, I get the use of the term attend. 
But you could attend a football game. You could attend a concert. But that's different, isn't it, than being part of a church, of a local church. And for that, that, that Greek term koinonia, which we translate fellowship, that's what Jesus is after. And the root for koinonia means something that is shared in common, something that is common to all of us. And so as members of Christ's body, and especially as members in the same local church, you and I are called to fellowship, to sharing things in common. And again, this goes quite a bit against the grain of the culture today as well. We tend to invest in all kinds of things other than the church. And so you'll ask someone, are you plugged in the church? Is someone praying for you? Are you praying for them? Do you know what's going on? Well, not really because I've got all these other activities. But guys, if we don't have this in the local church, I I can tell you we're, we're falling short of the mark. Fellowship. We share this life in Christ in common. I know other people. They know me. They pray for me. I pray for them. Larry's message, his series, Doing Life Together just a month ago, was spot on on this. We, we consider this central to who and what Lion and Lamb Church is. If we're not fulfilling the one another passages in the Bible, we're disobedient to God. We are not putting Jesus' priorities as our own. So this is hard to get away from. How are we doing at collectively displaying and living out welcoming, sharing, real relationships. That means transparency. It means accountability. It means vulnerability. We were in home group, I think, this last week, following up on a message about what are our hopes, what are our temptations to despair. And part of the, what came up in the conversation was uh, simply that people were glad to be in a group in which we were talking about the things that are at the center of what we care about or concerned about it's healthy. That's what God calls us to. And am I, are you, are we in groups, or are we cultivating these relationships in the church where we have this koinonia, this sharing of care and concern, outreach, prayer, you name it, with each other we're called to. Now, we don't just live within the church, but it starts here. You can't love the world, guys, if you don't love the church. Jesus loves the church, and he calls us to love his church as well. So how are we doing on that fellowship, life together? Next one, Andrew. Uh, Worshiping believers. We are a fellowship of worshiping believers. You know from John 4, 23 through 24, Jesus said that the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Worship in spirit and truth. That's our call as believers. It's to worship God in spirit and truth. And I want to clarify when we talk about worship, two different aspects of worship. We usually focus on one, the second one, and we forget the first one. So worship in both Testaments, if you want an image for worship, what you should see is a person bowing down before God because that's the image of worship. So in worship, I bow before my superior. I acknowledge they're my superior. And by bowing, I not only acknowledge that, but that they have the right over my life. So in both Testaments, the image of worship is to bow before God and say, you're God, I'm not. You have rights over me. I don't call my own shots. That is worship as a lifestyle. That is Romans 12, 1 and 2. That I am meant as a believer who's been crucified with Christ and now living with Christ. I'm to see my, the, the entirety, the totality of my life as an offering to God. That's my, Paul calls it, that's just your reasonable service. That's not extra credit. That's just the norm. That's what's expected. 
So are we as a church cultivating, are we living as examples, and are we as individuals living life where we see every aspect of my life is an aspect of worship, that I'm giving God his due, that I'm bowing before him and offering in my life? That's the first, that's the most important element of worship. The second is what we usually focus on, and that's when the church gathers corporately and we sing together, right? How hollow do you think this would be to God? People who don't worship God six days a week come and sing God's praises on Sunday morning. Would you, if your kid's disobedient six days a week and comes to you on one day and says, you're a great parent, how meaningful would that be to you? You disrespect me every day and you come one day a week and say, I'm great. It would lose something, wouldn't it? Do you remember what Jesus said to religious people like you and me? He said this, quoting from Isaiah, he said, this people draws near to me with their lips. They're singing the songs of Zion, but their hearts are far away. So worship first is a lifestyle of offering ourselves to God 24-7, 365. The secondary aspect is the, the worshipers who are worshiping God day in and day out bring that sense of worship together on Sunday morning and then through prayer and scripture and praise vocally, then we offer to God worship as well. But the second without the first rings pretty hollow. We want, to, we want to magnify, we want to be involved in both. How are we doing as a church about saying our life is worship? And then how are we doing as a church in encouraging each other when we're here to give God his due when we gather together? If you read through Psalms, you'll see calls to praise, verbal praise, as the Israel was gathered together all the time. Worship. Okay. Uh, Next one. Uh, We're committed to an authentic pursuit of a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. The adjectives and adverbs are important. Authentic, uh, vital, uh, right? We could be in a church every day and, and be spiritually dead. Coming into a church doesn't give you spiritual life, right? What does? The only thing that gives you and I spiritual life and vitality is a relationship with Christ. So we're basically saying as a church, life is all summed up in knowing Jesus Christ. And by the way, those were his words, right? In John 17, 3, this is eternal life. Lord, what does it mean to, be, to have life? Jesus says it's to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you've sent. That's life. So we want to say as a church, the relationship we have with Christ is everything. Short of that, we have nothing. You can call yourself whatever you want. Show up at a church as often as you want. If we don't have a personal relationship with Christ, we have nothing. How are we as a church at focusing that Jesus is the deal? He's the reason for our lives corporately. He's the reason for our lives privately. Life can be summed up because I have a relationship with Christ. I know Christ. I ran into a guy yesterday. You know, not many people tell you you're an angel sent from God, but a guy told me that yesterday. I was like, wow, this is a good day. I'm so glad I showed up here. This is a guy hurting. He's hurting, and he's got, a lot, he's got issues that he's had for a long time. And you know, almost every time I run into him and we have conversations, he's in tears because his life has fallen apart inside, and he doesn't know what to do. And I, you know, I had the same conversation. I say, Christ can redeem any life. You haven't sinned past Christ. I told him, the, the older I get, the more remarkable I find it that God ever thought about saving Mike, that my only hope is Christ. But because I have Christ... 
Man, I read my word in the Bible. Guys, I'm jazzed. Scripture means more to me now than ever. I feel close to the Lord now than ever. And I'm telling them, it's Christ. All you need is him. It's that stuff he hasn't taken yet. How are we at sharing with ourselves and with others? All of life is, is ultimately summed up in, do I know Christ? Is Jesus my Savior? When he is, all of life takes on new meaning. Everything becomes actually worth living, life worth living. So a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Are we exemplifying that as a church and as individuals? And is that what we're communicating to others? And last, Andrew, that last one. As we talk about this one, if you'll start winding down your response sheet, that would be helpful. Obeying all his commands. I've had people critique our mission statement because it didn't say evangelism. It didn't say missions. It didn't say one thing or another. And and on one hand, obeying all his commands is a catch-all, right? And I'm good with that. Because if I mention evangelism but forget worship, or if I say missions but forget giving or serving or humility or whatever, you could nail us on all that. What we want to be serious about is obedience to God and to Christ and his word. Uh, John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. So God spells love, O-B-E-Y. So guys, if we come in and we're Christians and we're singing the songs and we're doing the other things and we don't obey God, we're hypocrites. We're hypocrites. We're living shallow lives. And by the way, we're not only dissing God and Christ, but we're condemning ourselves to existence without life. Because what you'll find is the more you obey Christ, you don't lose, you gain. So we want to be serious about obedience, and that ties right back to worship. If we're not obedient to Christ's commands, we cannot, by definition, be worshipers. If we are worshipers, we are, by definition, living lives characterized by obedience. Nobody gets this right all the time, right? Nobody. (laughs) It doesn't happen for any of us. But that's what we want to be characterized by, obedience, faithfulness. So, if Jesus wrote a letter to the church today, what what might he say to Lion and Lamb Church? Guys, you're doing this well or you're, you're totally checked out over here. And what would he say to you? And what would he say to me? Well done here, not so well done here. This is the warning. This is the promise. What would that look like for you and me? If you would, would you stand in the worship team? You guys can come up now. I'll close with this scripture from 1 Peter 2 and then pray. Pete was talking about Jesus when he said this. You come to him. You come to Christ. He's a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You and I are a priesthood. We're meant to offer our lives, all that we have, all that we are, to God through Christ by His Spirit as an act of worship. And Father, we ask that by Your Spirit You'd help us to glorify Your Son. Lord, would You make Your Word come alive to us in cold hearts? Lord, would You enliven Your Spirit? Would You give us energy and vitality to not only live for You, but to declare Your excellence least to those around us? We want to be a part of seeing you bring more people into your family. We want to be a part of what you're doing on the earth. And Lord, we want to live in a way that you can say when it's all said and done, well done, good job. In Jesus' name, amen.